thank you for letting me get up here and do this every week. I really do. I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity and I appreciate the time. And um, we, live, we live in such a weird age. I was talking this week to some guys that anybody can listen to any preacher anywhere, anytime now. Uh, and I just I want to thank you guys for coming here and listening to me. Or let me come here and talk at you, whichever. But thank you for that. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And, well, introduction, introspection. Let's start. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. Remember, we saw somewhere else he's been a judge for 40 years. He was already grown up some when he became, I mean, he was like three when he was in the temple with Eli, right? But then he grew up and he was probably in his teens when he actually like started becoming a public judge and people started really listening to him. So now he's been doing that for 40 years. So we can guess he's in his late 50s at this point. He made his sons judges over Israel. Oh, wait, I got one more. Remember how he used to do a route. They said in the last chapter, every year he would make a circuit. And he would go through the various towns um, judging, which means kind of deliberating about disagreements. Like if you had a disagreement about something and you just couldn't resolve it yourself, you might wait until the fall when Samuel would come to town and you would let him, because everybody knew that he spoke on behalf of God and he had really good wisdom, you could appeal to him. But he would also kind of do like a big tent revival where he would come and just teach and give everybody their yearly teaching about here's what God's guiding you to do and here's what God's helping you with. But otherwise, he stayed living in his house. He didn't get a big mansion because now he's the judge of Israel. Um, He pretty much continued to do whatever his work was and then be a judge, then be the judge for all of Israel. Name of his firstborn son was Joel. Name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. But they turned aside after gain. They took bribes. They perverted justice. What? This sounds like Eli. This sounds like Hophni and Phinehas, right? Well, it's true. Unfortunately, Samuel's sons, whether it was their dad's power, whether it was because their dad was... Um, you know, however, just because he did this once a year, this big circuit, that might have taken months and months to do. So was it because dad was gone for three months out of the year? I mean, it's too, it's too complex to know, right? But it's a warning and it's advice for us. Because if Eli, who is the high priest of God... But he succumbed and he gave in and, you know, let his sons do all this terrible stuff. And then he also, remember, it said he got fat. Well, he got fat because the, the meat that his sons were stealing was more meat than anybody should eat. 
So it wasn't a commentary on Weight Watchers. It was a commentary on him taking advantage of people. If that could happen to Eli, and now could happen to Samuel, it could happen to any one of us, right? And um, this is why Paul, Paul would teach Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. An overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunk, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well and with dignity manage his children. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Wow. So right there in the New Testament, I mean, people say, God, the New Testament's full of grace and, and eases up on everybody. And you got this teaching that church leaders should have awesome kids. This scares me every day. No. I do take it seriously. It doesn't scare me every day, though. The number one place that we have to do ministry is in our house. The number one place where we are able to love our neighbor is to love our neighbor that sleeps next door in our bed, right? Or sleeps down the hall or sits next to us at the dining room table. This is our first chance we have to put the Sermon on the Mount into practice and to show that love and to teach it. And that's how, you know, Deuteronomy 6, talk about all this stuff while you're sitting down to eat, when you're laying down in your bed. Talk about the law. Talk about God. Talk about these things. Pass it on. So it's no wonder that the people don't want Samuel to make his sons their judges. The other thing that's interesting is something that happens to us too. There's so much in this chapter that is just like a picture of my life, right? It's just so accurate is notice there's no mention in here of the Philistines attacking them and stealing from them. Throughout the book of Judges, which remember 1 Samuel is kind of the epilogue of the book of Judges. It's, it's the same culture. Throughout the book of Judges, what would happen? Philistines would come. People would cry out to the Lord. God would give them a judge that would deliver them. Yes, everything is great. And then that judge would get a little bit corrupt and a little bit off and they die. All the people would turn back to their own ways. They would do evil. God would send the Philistines to remind the people, don't be evil or the Philistines come. The Philistines come, they wreak havoc. All the people say, oh Lord, deliver us. Which, if they would have been crying out to the Lord in the first place, the Philistines wouldn't have come, right? In this scenario, there's no Philistines coming. Everything's good. We've got this awesome judge. His kids are a little meh. But we've got this awesome judge. Everything's good in Israel. And they say to him, the elders of Israel gather together, and they say, this is 1 Samuel Chapter 8, verse 5. You are old, and your sons don't walk in your ways. They're telling him flat out, your sons are not good judges. Appoint for us a king.
to judge us. Give us a king to judge us. And then comes the bad phrase, like all of the other nations. We want to be like all the other countries. Why can't I be like them? Why can't I be like Susie down the street? Why can't I have an awesome job and an awesome car like Carl, right? Oh dear. It's not that they want to be led. It's that they want to be as good as these other nations that they're looking at. But the other nations aren't serving God. They aren't serving Yahweh. So they want to be like something that's fundamentally off. That's fundamentally broken right from the start. Give us a king to judge us just like the other nations. The thing displeased Samuel. All right, so Samuel, he has still got it. When they said, give us a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed. He prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they've ever done, they're always, God says this, they always do this. From the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to today, they forsake me, they serve other gods, and that's what they're doing right now. So obey their voice, but warn them and show them the ways of the king that they will get will be trouble. So God, God is upset. It's like, this is like, if I came home from work one day and Cindy said, I think I want to get married. And I'd be like, say what? You're, we're already married here? We got this thing happening? Israel says, we want a king. And God is like, well, I'm, I'm your king. I thought I was your king. What, what are we doing? Do you remember when, the last time Israel got in trouble, they were getting beat by the Philistines. And they said, by golly, if we get the Ark of the Covenant out here, We'll bring out our big golden box of power and God will have to show up and defend us and save us. And so they paraded that thing out and got whooped. Now they're saying, by golly, if we had a big old handsome king out here, we'd be a good country. That's all we need is a big handsome king to put a crown on and to rule over us. It's the same thing. It's the same idolatry. God has provided himself, his very own self. And they've said, you know, that's not really good enough. All the other nations have these big, awesome golden things that give them power. We want to parade ours around. God gives himself. And they say, you know, that's not really good enough. We want a big old handsome king with a sweet beard and a crown that we can all like play trumpets for and have pageants and let him rule us. Here we are, team. God has provided himself for us. God has given himself in Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit in us. And still, it's hard to not crave, boy, if only I had this, then I'd be happy. I'll tell you what, as soon as XYZ happens, I'm going to be the happiest man alive. As soon as I get one of these... I will be set for life. That is all I need right there. 
I've had friends that have gotten jobs and they get, and it's the job that's like, you know what? You're 45, but this is the kind of job you get and you are set. You don't, they won't ever fire you. You will retire and you'll have this incredible retirement plan. You are set for life right now. And it's like, yes, I have done it. I have achieved it. And in two years, it's gone. There's stuff you get. We, I don't know how many times I say, I'm going to clean out the basement. I'm going to clean all this stuff up. And I come across this gizmo that when I was at Lowe's, it was like the thing I needed that was going to fix everything. And it was going to do it all. And now I don't even know where the cord is to it. Because it, it's worthless. There's big conceptual things that we idolize and we turn into replacements for God. There's little simple stuff, right? It's not saying stuff is bad. I mean, God loves us to delight in created things. He loves, he loves it when we give things to other people. And if He loves it when we give things to other people, what else is happening? Somebody is getting something. By the definition of giving, somebody is getting. And God loves that. So it's not that God hates stuff. It's not that God hates success. He just hates it when we make it take His place. When it, when it takes the place that He is trying to take. And so that's why He's hurt. Well, He knew, like I said, He knew he would, they would do it. He made a provision for it. He prepared them for it in Deuteronomy 17. Moses is up on the mountaintop, and God says, When you go into the land that your Lord your God is giving you, you possess it, you live in it, you will say, I want a king like all the nations that are around me. Isn't that wild? They almost said it to the letter. So a bunch of archaeologists dig in, and they look, and they're like, Okay, did somebody just write... The book of Deuteronomy after this happened in Samuel, or did they write Samuel to copy it? Nope. There's all evidence in manuscripts that these, these happen independently of each other. So, God says, look Israel, you're going to get out of Egypt, you're going to go in the promised land, you're going to ask for a king. You can ask for a king. That is okay. You're not breaking the law. Here is what kind of king you should pick. One that's among your brothers, do not pick a foreigner who is not your brother. He must not acquire horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you should never go that way again. So God says when you get a king, he can't go back to Egypt to buy horses. Now, do you think God cares about what brand of horse they have? It's not because of the brand of horse. They have just been delivered out of Egypt. And everything about Egypt represents everything about the old way of life. Before they had a law, when they were slaves. And now they're going to go be free in the promised land. He's saying, don't go back to slavery to get stuff. Don't enslave yourself. The other thing, the only purpose for a horse at this point was war. Horses were war machines. So he's saying, don't enslave yourselves just to be able to fight in wars. Don't go back to that. Don't do that. 
And definitely don't go in from Egypt. Your new king, some of you guys are, as soon as I say this, you're going to be like, ah! When he should not get many wives for himself, otherwise his heart will turn away, and he should not acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. You immediately, you know, you read that and you think of Solomon. He had a thousand wives. Like the third king of Israel was already off course on this. He should not get a bunch of wives. He shouldn't get ridiculous amounts of silver and gold. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he should write for himself in a book a copy of the law and have it approved by the Levitical priests. Okay, so how awesome is that? When you become the king of Israel, you have to sit down and hand write out Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Isn't that awesome? Like, can you imagine? Just making like a modern example here. What if the new president couldn't change any laws, couldn't do any executive orders, couldn't do any stuff... Right from the beginning. I see you, Jim. He couldn't do anything from the beginning until he sat down and hand wrote out the Constitution. Wouldn't that be... I mean, wouldn't that immediately... Just think about God's wisdom and logic in this. You can't take over my people until you know how I want my people ruled. And I'm going to put a time buffer because it's going to take time to do that, right? Right? It's like when a business hires a new boss and the guy walks in the first day and hires everybody and, you know, fires this whole group and paints the whole wall, all the walls red. And, oh, that's too much change all at once. So God's like, okay, I'm going to build in a buffer. Whenever you have a king, before he does anything, he's got to write out my law. And then that has to be approved by the Levitical priests. So now, what do you have? You have a balance of power immediately that the king's not going to say, I did it. And everybody's going to believe him. You've got Levite priests that say, we need to check that, O king. Wow. Just the, the, the wisdom of God in, in how to set up structure is, is just genius. So he's going to write all this out. And then he's going to read it all the days of his life so he will learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all of those words of this law and the statutes and doing them so his heart won't be lifted up above his brothers though he will not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left and he will continue long in his kingdom he and his children in Israel. So not only is he going to write out Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy He's going to continue to read that over and over every day. Have any of you guys ever heard J. Vernon McGee, the commentary guy? So I have a friend that's a pastor, and he can't read any commentaries by J. Vernon McGee because when he reads them, he hears them in the voice of J. Vernon McGee, and that drives him crazy. (laughs) How many of you get a note from your husband or your wife? And when you read the note, you read it in their voice, right? Just think about what it would do to you and your soul if you were reading every day the scriptures in your own handwriting. 
if you were hearing that little voice in your head that bugs you all the time was scripture and it was your voice. Wow. Just the genius of God. This is how you're going to train your kings. They're going to handwrite the whole thing. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But they didn't do any of that stuff. So that's how they should have a king. God knew that they would do it. Samuel comes back and he's like, okay, look, God is going to give you a king. You asked for it, but you got to know what this king is going to do. This is first, back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 10. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. Here's how the king is going to reign over you. He's going to take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run in front of his chariots. So you want a king so bad, but you need to know that a king needs to have an army. And the king's going to take all your sons to be in his army. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. So God had this idea that was it was kind of hierarchical in that there was a hierarchy of people submitting to one another. Like, if I submit to you and, and, I, and I give you authority, that's one level of authority, and that and they can grow. But if a tyrant king comes in and demands that he's in charge, then it's not, that's not the way God dreams it out to be. Because all of a sudden, he needs an army. And all those guys that are in the Lord's army, the Lord's army, the king's army, they got to eat, but they're not working the fields. So what are you going to do? That's going to increase your work in the fields. All those guys in the army are going to need weapons. So they're going to need metal. And do you think the king is going to send his army guys down into the mines to mine all that metal? No, he's going to send you. And so your life, he's saying, your life is going to get really, really rough. He'll take your daughters. And they'll become his perfumers and his cooks and his bakers. He'll take the best of your fields and your vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He'll take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards, give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants, the best of your young men. He's even going to take your best donkeys. He's saying, the king is going to take, take, Take. He'll take a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. And in that day you'll cry out because of your king whom you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine? You're going to enslave yourselves to this king you're asking for because God knows Samuel's going to die. God knows that Samuel's sons are not going to be good judges. If they didn't do this, I bet God would just raise up another judge and just keep on through the book of Judges, raising up judges. But God also knows that at some point, a king has to come. Because there are prophecies about a king reigning over Israel forever. And that he would never die. 
and that his kingdom would last for all eternity. And that can only happen if a king comes. So God knows at some point they're going to ask for a king. So he tells them all this stuff. Here's your warning. Do you know when when God gave another warning, but he let people do what they chose? If you eat of this apple, you will die. But I'm going to let you choose. And Adam and Eve chose the apple. But God knew that he had a plan for that. That the serpent is evil, but you're going to crush his... He's going to nip at your heels, but you're going to crush his skull. Isn't that wild how much Jesus is coming up in the fulfillment of all of history? Of just all of mankind? So he gives them one more option. If you ask for this, it's going to be terrible. And you're going to cry out for help. And I'm going to say, I can't help you because you really wanted this really bad. And now I'm giving it to you. And I can't turn it back. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no, there shall be a king over us. They're going to have a king whether Samuel has anything to do with it or not. We want to be like the other nations. Our king may judge us and go before us and fight our battles. Isn't this funny? They don't even have a battle right now. There's no battle going on. They are so pulled in. Um, This is, like I said, this reflects us, right? Are, Are we trying so hard to be like the world that we're abandoning God's structure for things? Are we trying so hard to be like our neighbors? I mean, I used to work with a lady, and her last name was Jones. And she would always say, uh, my last name's Jones, and we're not the ones you need to keep up with. I always thought that was so awesome. Don't keep up with people, right? If If I'm constantly trying to build my identity off of the other people that I see, all these super happy people that dance so well on Facebook... All these awesome meals. I'm in a group. What did you eat for breakfast? And all we post to Facebook is what we eat for breakfast. These people, they're beautiful. Like they're like, how did you what? How do you eat that for breakfast? If I measure my life trying to be like all these other people, I'm gonna go after an idol that's not real. It's not a real thing, right? The other thing about this whole deal is this is how idols work. They completely rip you off. If you run after anything to satisfy a need that God has designed Himself and designed you to satisfy, it's going to cost you more than you ever hoped to pay for. It's going to take you over and it will consume you. Every idol we worship... We think, I can handle this. I have enough self-control to resist this. I can keep this from getting bad. And we just fool ourselves. Because the idols will eat you for lunch and spit you out and eat you all over again. So they say, we want to be like all the other nations. When Samuel heard all these words, he repeated them to the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said, obey their voice And make them a king. Go get them a king. Samuel said to the men of Israel, Go everybody to your city. Go everybody go back home. We will give you a king. 
God loves you so much. He cares about you. He watches you. He watches you like something that he built and he's excited to watch. He doesn't watch you with a uh, lightning bolt ready to mess up, mess up, mess up. Boom! He watches you like, oh, there goes Dan. Oh, good. Okay. But if we cry out to him and we want a thing that's not him, sometimes he will give it to us to show us how much we really, 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 really want him. So, so much better to just start with Him. To just start with God. And to go to Him and to pray and say, God, I want You. I just want more of You in my life. Whatever that means, I don't know what it means. And just say, I want more of You. I want, I want to know You. I want to be closer to You. I want to experience You more. And let that be your prayer. And pray it until it happens. And then pray it all over again. And you think, I've done everything religious I ever wanted to do. I don't have to do anything else. You're in the worst shape of all. Just start praying all over again. Lord, I want to be with you. I never tell, I'm, just think it through. I'm never going to tell my wife, man, marriage was really good. Now let's do something else. No. You just keep going, keep going, keep going. It's a friendship. It's a relationship. And that's what, that's what God He loves us so much that that's what He wants for us. All right. Next week, we'll see what happens. We'll see how God answers. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much. Thank You so much for all the times that when we pray for other stuff and when we pray for other things, You give us Yourself and You show Yourself to us and You... Give us a deeper friendship and a deeper relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do it. Reveal our idols. Reveal the things that we try to fit into a spot that's, that only you fit into. Help us to show, help us to see where, where we're empty and just waiting for you to fill us up, Lord. Show us your ways. We love you and we praise you, God. Amen.